Um, we're going to continue our series this morning on spiritual disciplines, call it uh, spiritual habits, spiritual exercises. As a Christian, what can I do in my daily life to draw myself closer and to stay on track and to do what God has called me to do? that I can experience the joy that God has for me in my life? What are the practices, what are the spiritual disciplines that I can put into my life that will help me to do that? Because we have to have some intentionality behind what it is that, that we do. Uh, there's a saying that goes, if you fail to plan, you will plan to fail. And that is definitely true for us as with our walk with Christ. Isn't this just happenstance that, that we, we know who God is, know what he wants for us, and that we would do it? Because our flesh wants to go the opposite way. Our flesh wants to do everything but what God has called us to do. So it's vitally important for us to have these disciplines in our lives so that we can be closer to God and who he is. And so last week, we talked about reading the Bible. Right, so I gave you a challenge to, to not only just read the Bible every day, but kind of experiment this week to, to go and, and to pick a time or pick a few different times each day of the week. And bonus points again, if you pick the place that you can go and say, this is my designated time, this is my designated place. This, this is my Bible reading chair, my Bible reading couch and spot. And I'm going to have my Bible here ready to go. All I got to do is come and do it, that you can do this every day. So I hope that you all uh, took that to heart and experimented this week. I would love to hear what you find out. Uh, there was somebody who commented on Facebook, actually, who, who commented and said, um, that they, they felt like uh, they didn't need to read the Bible or they couldn't make it a regular habit until they started reading and they made it a day, daily habit. And he said his life was transformed from there. And then he, even though he started out not understanding what was going on in the Bible, the more he read, the more he understood. And I didn't solicit that comment. But this is the power of not only the internet, but for people to see and get this gospel message and then to, to give their testimony of how they experienced it. So I want that for you all, for you to be transformed by God and his word. So uh, let me hear those stories after service today about your experiment. Uh, but as we start here today, I got a weird question for you. Uh, uh, who all knows bad words? Just about to say, just me? <laughs> Because I know, I know some of you can, can drop a few four-letter words here and there. I mean, let's be honest. You know, I wasn't always a pastor. And so even as early as in elementary school, as soon as I learned some of these words, I was having fun putting them in sentences. Cursing like a sailor sometimes. No, of course, not around family because I wouldn't be here if my mother heard any of this but uh, able to exercise some of those things. And I thought I was cool at the time. And then, you know, I've always enjoyed reading. And, and as I read, I just discovered just the, how many words that there are. And I became fascinated with words themselves. And I was thinking, you know what? Using these words are just a cheap way to express yourself. There's a lot better words that I can use in these situations that are far more impactful. And uh, Libby says, sometimes I use two bigger words. I use a $25 word when I can use a five-cent word. But, I mean, I like words. They're, they're fun. They're fun to use. And so as we think about, we all know the bad words, right? 
But it, when we look at the culture today, there's things that people don't, don't even want to talk about. And so even when you bring up certain terms or different words, it's like it's a bad word and people don't want to hear it. They look at you crazy and are sideways and they don't want to associate with you anymore. How dare they say something like that or believe things like this? And so we've turned this, a lot of words that we use in just the, the normal everyday uses or vernacular and we've turned it into something that is, is bad or something that uh, people are, are just do not care for. And uh, fortunately, there are many words in the English language that take on this negative connotation. And again, they're more like swear words. And one of those words we're going to talk about today, one of those words is submission. To some people, that's a bad word. Uh, they, they, I saw some people tense up already. Like, you're not going to talk about submission here today, but today's culture goes to great lengths to uh, uh, redefine the definition of commonly held and known words. Now, this is different than slang. All of us grew up with different types of slang, depending on what generation you came from. And so there's a redefinition there. But even just common, everyday words people have co-opted to use in, in a different way. And it's gotten so bad, we, we just can't even have straightforward conversations anymore. We have to kind of define our terms even just to have a simple conversation. And instead of objective truth, for example, people like to talk about their truth or your truth as, as if two things can be true at the same time. I don't even understand where this comes from where you can have different types of truth. When seeking equality for all people is now known as becoming woke. And that has even been co-opted from a different meaning of where it was originally used from and now used as a pejorative or something negative. Even our Supreme Court justices can't define what a woman is. When asked point blank, what is a woman? Um, people have trouble with that these days. That is amazing. A biblical term that people tend to shy away from is the word that we're going to talk about today, and that is submission. It's important for us to know and understand because it's in the Bible, and we want to trans translate it and understand it the way God intended, the way the writer is intended us to know and understand it. As Christians, we are called to a life of surrender and submission to God. These days, we want to be self-sufficient and do things on our own. We don't want to submit to nobody, much less God. But what does it mean for us to practice the spiritual discipline of submission? In a world that glorifies self-sufficiency and independence, the, the concepts of submission is just can be difficult to understand for us here. And so today we're going to explore the truths and the benefits, the benefits of submission and how we can transform our relationship with God and others through it. So when I mention submission, those of you who grew up in the church uh, I'm sure I've heard this before. We know this verse in Ephesians, where it says in Ephesians 5 and 22, it says, wives, let's see, there's that tenseness again. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
Now, I've heard women specifically requesting that any reference to submitting to husbands be taken out of marriage vows. This is something that has been happening more recently in, um, in, in marriages and weddings, and, and for some for good reason. Right? I'm not saying that it's all bad or it's all wrong, but there have been men who have weaponized this term and taken it out of context. I want to acknowledge that. So there are some men who have taken it way too far and have, again, redefined what the biblical context is. These men use this as an excuse in order to take advantage and abuse women. That's not the purpose and the goal that God intended. And despite what the Bible says, they use verses like this out of context in order to coerce women. And that's wrong. That's something that we should stand against and we should speak out on. You sh we should not be doing this as men, especially if you call yourself a Christian. Years ago, when Libby and I attended another church, we were in a marriage group. And during one of our meetings, we kind of split off, and, you know, men in this room and women in the next. And, you know, as, as we were talking in this, this marriage group, you know, this particular verse came up. And so the men, they went on to talk about how the woman needs to cater to the man and do what he says in order to be a good wife that they need to have dinner on the table. They need to have everything ready for the, in the home and, and to be designated to, to take care of the kids. And I'm, I'm like, maybe, maybe some of that might be true. But what about if we read a verse before 22? What, what does verse 21 say? If we want to read this in context, we want to be good theologians, we want to be good Christians, let's read the at least one more verse. Let's read the one before and the one after. And what does verse 21 says? It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. <laughs> you know, so I, I brought this up in our group and they just had blank stares looking at me like, like I had two heads. I'm like, just read the verse. Just read it and reason by what it says. And as you read through Ephesians 5, what Paul is doing is he's talking to Christians and he's telling us how we should govern our relationships with others, including marriages. So in verse 21, Paul is talking about specific relationships or authority and submission among Christians. And he declares that all of us as Christians are to be humble and be in submission. So in God's eyes, there's, there's no believer that is inherently superior over another. So in our standing before God, we're all equal in every way. You don't believe me? Let's look at Galatians 3 and 28, where it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor male or female, female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our reverence for God is the basis for our submission to other believers, right? This is what Paul is talking about. In our overall relationships with one another as Christians, in order to live harmoniously in unity with one another, we will submit to one another. Yeah, I see some faces. I mean, because that's tough for us. Uh, again, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to submit to just anybody. Maybe I'll submit to God, but I don't know about anybody else. But we got to read the text and looks what it says. So um, when, 
when I, when I brought this up in the marriage group and I got up blank stares, uh, the leader eventually, after a few uncomfortable seconds, uh, changed the subject and, and went on to the next step. There, were, there was no response. There was no answer to it. And what was missing from that conversation is we can see it all throughout chapter 5 where Paul tells us how to uh, reflect our identity in Christ. So when we submit to one another, what that actually is, is it's not because the other person deserves it. When we submit to somebody else, we are following Christ's example. And so we are reflecting what he has done for us. And Christ himself submitted to others even when he lowered himself to become a man and died a death that, you know, this is a death of a common criminal dying on a cross so that the, the people who believed in him would be saved. You talk about submission. That is the ultimate submission. And not because those people then or us people now deserved it, because we don't. But he did it anyway. Those of you who are participating in Sunday school and going through the book of Philippians, remember Philippians 2 and 5, where it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is incredible for us as we look at Christ again as our example. And, and when we think about submission and we think about all the definitions of what we think it means, what I want you to know is submission doesn't mean you're a doormat either. It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you and you, you just ease back and, and just let people do whatever, whatever it is that they want to do. Philippians 2 and 10, it says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That doesn't sound like being a doormat to me. So following Christ's example, we, we do need to stand up for what is good and what is right, but we don't have to always get our own way. I mean, we used to hold some grudges because people looked at us funny or do whatever when you should be submitting to that person. You should be loving that person and praying for that person. You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know what's happening. They might even not be praying, paying attention to you and you took it personally. So when we submit to one another, we allow for those things to happen. And Christ provides the ultimate example of what submission looks like. And because of what Christ did for us, we should also value others. Again, no one is more superior than another. No one is worth more than the other. All of us have equal value. And that means that for us, we're willing to give ourselves up for others or regard others as more important than ourselves. This is countercultural. The people like, well, you need to stand up for you. You need to uh, stand apart and tell people how great you are, and they need to understand and recognize what you bring to the table. Maybe. But first and foremost, you need to regard others as more important. Submission means that we make ourselves a lower rank, and, and that will be for the benefit of others. Romans 12 and 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. And, and it says, outdo one another in showing honor. 
that would be incredible to me if we actually put this into place. We actually did this on a day-to-day basis. What would it look like for us, us to outdo one another in showing honor? What would it look like if you were coming in to the church and you saw somebody run up past you just so they can get the door for you? After you, no, after you, after you, no, after you. And we're trying to outdo one another and showing honor. What would that look like if we uh, saw somebody hurting and they need support and everybody was running to them so that they can be encouraged, trying to make sure that their needs are met? With that basic understanding, um, let's get a granular look at um, the family unit. So then now we get back to Ephesians 5 and 22. Right before, uh, in, in verse 21 before, Paul was talking about all Christians, and now he's going to talk about a marriage relationship. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So in a marriage relationship, both husband and wives are called to submit. They're both Christians. They're, they're, they're both come to the table, uh, seeing equally with God. And, and now we get to see what the, the marriage structure is designed to look like. And so wives are to align themselves under their husbands to illustrate the response of the church to Christ. This is the picture that we get in marriage. So husbands are therefore also uh, to align themselves under their wives by loving them selflessly. A husband would love them selflessly for their own sanctification. And again, this illustrates Jesus' love for the church. Because that's how Jesus loves the church, sacrificially. Giving, he literally gave everything for the church. And that is the example for husbands. To love his wife like Christ loved the church. So following this instruction, a Christian husband puts aside his own interests in order to care for his wife. And I, I imagine it's easy to submit to a husband who first and foremost follows and submits to Christ and would give up his life for his wife for her sanctification. Because if you just pour your wife with love and, and are there for her in and, and every facet and you're following Christ and not asking her to do uh, anything that's not biblical, I, I don't know if that will be hard. I don't know that there will be any challenges with that. Now, this notion might not be popular in our culture today, but God supersedes our culture. It doesn't matter how culture changes. It will ebb and flow, and we've seen this over the course of time how culture just progressively changes, but what doesn't change is God and his word. And this is good for all time. Everything that is taught that we see here. So according to the Bible, the man is the spiritual head of the family and his wife should acknowledge his leadership. That's Bible. That's how the structure that God put forth for our, our, our marriage and family relationships. So men have a heavy, heavy responsibility. Remember, submission is not uh, coercing or abusing. When, when you do this well, men, husbands, when you do this well, this is a heavy burden. This is a lot of responsibility when it comes to leading a family. Real spiritual leadership involves service. 
It involves doing for your wife, doing for your children, doing for your family, just like when Christ served his disciples even to wash their feet. Again, this is our example. This is what we should be looking towards. So husbands are to serve their wives, and a wise and Christ-honoring husband will not take advantage of his leadership role. A wise and Christ-honoring wife will not try to undermine her husband's leadership. So as we go further and talk about the family, then you have children. They, they align themselves under their parents in, in honor and obedience. Another word we don't like, obedience. Fathers align themselves under their children. While, even while you're the head, you align yourself still under the, their, your children, not provoking them to anger and training them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, you don't have to always get your own way. I can tend to be a perfectionist, and for a while there, I believe the, the, the only way, right way to do things was my way. But that's not true. There, there's different ways that things can be done, and I've learned with my family, my children, even my leadership and in other areas, people have different skills, and they approach things different ways and can get the same outcome even though it's different than mine. And that's helpful for fathers as we think about our children and discipline and things of that nature, and we're helping them to grow in, our, in the instruction in the Lord. So it might be hard to think about submitting ourselves to one another because it really puts ourselves in a vulnerable position. So, I mean, there's, the, there's our flesh that gets in the way and, and, and all these things that happen, but ultimately it's vulnerable for us to submit to somebody else. But if everybody tries to outdo each other in showing honor, as we mentioned before, then everybody gets their needs met. So even if everybody's not, I mean, it, of course, we want everybody to do this, to outdo one another. But even if they don't, that, that doesn't mean you don't. You are responsible for you. You don't control nobody else. This is what God has called you to. Again, uh, it's not like the other person deserves it because what Christ did for you, you didn't deserve. So the least we can do is extend that to other. Give people grace. Hopefully now that you, you understand better what it looks like to submit to one another. But the, the only way this is possible is if we first submit to God. I mean, I, I had to understand how this, this works for us at, at this horizontal level with one another. But ultimately, the whole goal and purpose is the vertical. How do we do this with God? How do we submit to God? So what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. I'm here to answer that for you. Remember, the goal of, of spiritual disciplines and habit is for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the whole goal and purpose for us to put things in place. How do we continue to draw closer to God so that I can grow in my relationship with him? So some practical ways that we submit to God is through our humility and self-denial. I might put this on the list too as some bad words today. You, I gotta be humble. I gotta deny myself. This is again countercultural, right? But obedience, when we talk about humility, 
uh, obedience to God requires humility. First Peter 5 and 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Close yourself, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, pride is the opposite of humility. People walk around with their chest puffed out and thinking about how good they are. Even in the church, people that are holier than thou, we all know these people. They're like, they can't do no wrong, their stuff don't stink. It does. Then we need to humble ourselves as we submit every moment of every day. We need to make a choice to submit to God in order to grow spiritually. All the time, this has got to be on our mind. It's a continual process of sanctification until Jesus returns or he calls us home. We're going to be practicing this until we are no more, until we're called away. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, it says, And we all, with veiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Along with being humble, right? So we all need to be humble. Not the fake humble, by the way. You know, you try to give that humble brag. Like, oh, you know, I had to, to you know, get, get, get this, uh, had to buy this big old house. And, and I, all these rooms I got to clean now. And man, but the Lord is blessing, you know, even though I don't have anybody to live in these rooms. We, we know the humble bragger to come. I mean, I'm talking about real, true, and honest humility, knowing that you are putting yourself under somebody else, especially you put yourself under God and who he is and what he's done. But along with that, along with humility, we also need to deny ourselves. And this is foreign to a lot of us. Uh, I don't deny myself 20, too, too many meals, you know what I'm saying? Or too many other things, right? When you think about denying yourself, but we'll talk about fasting at the beginning of the year, but you know, being able to deny yourself even from food is a blessing. But when you focus your time and attention, when you would be scarfing down a nice little steak, but you're thinking about God and who he is and what he's done, and you're looking to him for sustenance. This is something I've had to learn over the years. So, but when we deny ourselves, it doesn't mean that we hate ourselves. It doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. You know, this is better understood that um, we don't get our own way when we deny ourselves. Our, our happiness doesn't depend on what we want or what we get. Uh, Mark 8 and 35 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Losing your life for his sake and the gospel will save it. So during the time of Jesus, submission was a well-understood concept. It was a common practice for servants to submit to their masters, uh, wives to submit to their husbands, and childs to their parents. However, Jesus took the idea of submission, he took it to a much deeper level by calling us to submit to God above all else. And we see this example as he willingness, willingly, he submitted himself to the will of the Father by sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins. So God calls us to submit to him because he knows what's best for us. 
You know, you, you want to go and try to find your own way, do your own thing, and you try to understand and think about, well, what's best for me? God already knows. And you got to follow him and submit to him and be obedient to him for you to walk through it with him. God calls us to do this. And then when we submit to him, we also acknowledge his lordship. You realize and understand that you're not the one in control. You're not the one who's, who's perfect and good. You're not the one who's sovereign or all-powerful. God is. And we need that reminder so we place ourselves under him and, and, and acknowledge the seat that he already has in our lives. And that's, that's, that's king, king of our lives. So we give up on our own desires and we give up on our own hopes and wants and we choose to follow Jesus. Not, that's not to say you won't get what you want, but what you want is what God wants for you. And that's the whole difference. So when we follow Jesus, we obey him and put what he, what he said and what he calls us to do in practice. John 14 and 15 says, if you love me, <laughs> you will keep my commandments. Do you love him? How do you know? You can say you love him. But if you're not doing what he said, I'm just reading for the text here. You, you have to ask yourself that question. Well, maybe you don't know his commands. That's why I'm asking you to read your Bible. So you get to know him and his commands. Because if you love him, then you would follow what he says. And knowing that what, what he says is good for you. So this sounds counterintuitive, but the more we submit to God, the more joy and satisfaction that we have. Again, when we think about submission, that, that means, oh, I'm not, everything is going right. I got to stuff myself down and things aren't going to work and I got to do what they say and do what they say. No, when you submit to God, then you are, are operating in your purpose and you see exactly what he has for you. And you derive joy from that. So when we focus on God and submit to him in our lives, you know, we see transformation that happens and take place. Our lives become more joyful. We, when we feel lost, when we feel frustrated or hopeless and defeated, we realize that we've taken our eyes off God. I know I've realized this or seen this for myself in my own life. When, when things just aren't going my way and I'm just running into dead end after dead end and I'm frustrated and people are coming and, and attacking me and I don't know what to do, I realize, man, I haven't been in the Word lately. I haven't been on my knees as fervently as I need to. And I'm being attacked, literally, from all corners. And I know I need to get my face in Scripture. I know what I need to get down on my hands and knees and pray to my God above. That's necessary and vital. And when you feel all these things, when the world is crashing down around you, you have to realize that these feelings and thoughts are lies from the evil one. That all these things that you're telling us, I'm not good enough and people hate me and, and I can't have this and people are threatening me and, and trying to hold me back. All these things are lies from the devil. 
James 4 and 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He has no power over you. He has no con- control. And, and when you submit yourself to God, he's got you. He, he's the one that fights for you. He's the one that protects you. And even though things aren't rosy all the time, you can still derive joy from that because of who God is. Brothers and sisters, don't let the devil lie to you. You need to turn to God. You need to focus on him. You need to obey him. You need to trust him. And when you do, when you do all these things, you will not only resist the devil, but you will live a life of glory of God. The God of the universe loves you unconditionally. I want you to hear this. God, the God of the universe loves you. And nothing can change that. Nothing. Christ has already done the work. When he gave up his life on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say it is finished as long as Steve does X, Y, Z, and he makes these decisions. He already decided what he was going to do despite what Steve was going to do. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. So submission also is not a one-time event. It's a daily choice. For a lot of us, it's a moment-by-moment choice. It's, it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. When, when you, when you want to do what you want to do, and you have to think about it, I'm like, well, <laughs> maybe I should speak better to this person. Maybe I should serve this person a little better, a little differently. This is an act of surrendering our will to God and placing our trust and faith in him. And it's acknowledging that he is the ultimate authority in our lives and that he plans, his plans are higher than anything that we can ever think a dream. And it's through submission that we humble ourselves before God and recognize, again, that he is in control. So here's what I want you to practice this week. Still, still continue to practice your Bible reading again a daily habit of reading the Bible, being feeding on his word it is going to uh, uh, make your life just, just totally different. And you might not understand everything you're reading to begin with, and that's okay. Just keep on pressing. Keep continuing to, to go on. So as we think about submission, uh, what I want you to practice this week um, is um, continue to make that a priority. And, and I want you to notice uh, when it comes to submission, the times when you're trying to get your own way. Notice in your life where uh, uh, somebody rubs you the wrong way or doesn't respond in the way that you want them to, that you realize, hey, am I, am I submitting to this other person? Am I submitting to God in this moment? I want you to take, any, take, uh, take note of any time this week that you put yourselves before others when you could be serving them. So who can you show love? Who can you show the love of Christ to this week? Who can you reach out to and, and call and, and let them know that you're thinking and praying for them and that you love them or you take a meal to them? Dallas Willard has been quoted as saying, abandon outcomes to God. This is an interesting thought, abandon outcomes to God. And this, this means in order to submit to God in any situation, that you need to refuse to get um, uh, anyone to do anything for you. You're not tied to the outcome. You're not saying, I, I want this to happen, so I'm going to do this. 
You live life, what I like to say, living life with an open hand where God can put in or take out whatever he chooses. And if when you're in submission to God, you're okay with it because you're, uh, you're, you're submitting to his lordship. And he knows, you know he's doing what is best for you. So in any and every outcome, be committed to glorifying God. So submission to God, again, is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. It's a sign of strength for us when we trust in his power. When we submit to God, we're positioning ourselves to receive his blessings and to be used for his purposes. So I want you to continue to surrender your will to God and follow Jesus' example. I want you to follow his example of submission and knowing that when you do this, that you're walking in his footsteps, that you're trying to be just like him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your perfect example of submission through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I want you to help us to submit to your will in all areas of our lives. We want to try to do things on our own. We fool ourselves into thinking that we are the ones in control. We are the ones in power. Help us to recognize the lordship that you have in our lives and submit to you. Give us the strength and humility to submit and to surrender our desires and and to trust in your perfect plan for us. And, and Father, as we pray through our submission, we hope and, and, and pray that your name would be glorified and your kingdom be advanced forever and ever. And in Jesus' name, amen.